We are in Champions League, man. That was my Dilly din, dilly dong, come on. I will love it if we beat them. Love it. This is the Modern Soccer Coach Podcast with Gary Kearney. Hello, welcome to the Modern Soccer Coach Podcast. My name is Gary Kernin. Joining us for this episode is Leslie Gallimore. 26 seasons at the University of Washington, 15 NCAA tournament appearances, 270 games won, a list of honours that you could probably do another separate podcast on. We talk about how you build a special culture and more importantly, how do you sustain and continue to develop it. Phenomenal insight. Really excited to get your thoughts on this. At Gary Kernin on Instagram, at Gary Kernin on Twitter. This podcast is brought to you by Bounce Athletics. Stay tuned for a special offer for MSC listeners during the podcast. Here is Leslie. Enjoy. Leslie, thanks so much for joining me today on the Modern Soccer Coach podcast. Finally, excited to have you on. <laughs> I'm happy to be here, Gary. I mean, where do we start? Culture is is going to be a big, big part of the podcast. So obviously we, we talk about it all day, every day these days, it seems. But in my experience, the the easier part of culture is almost whenever you come into an environment and everyone's open to change and new ideas and both from a leadership point of view and the players. Yeah. Once culture is established, I found culture very, very complex and very difficult to keep challenging those people without, I suppose, those, that message wearing off. But you've obviously mastered this here. So what is the secret or what is the skill to, to maintaining a, a culture and to keep building it? Well, if you feel like I've mastered it, then I really pulled the wool over your eyes. <laughs> um, yeah, I, I'm not sure it's a secret, um, but I believe there are a few things that, that a coach always has to be cognizant of in a program. And you're exactly right. The, you know, the honeymoon phase, so to speak, when things are new and fresh is a, a little bit of the easy part. Um, and I think if you're someone that doesn't recognize that and you kind of uh, get wrapped up in, in being, you know, sort of the, the fresh face and, and things are going great and you, you don't really pay attention to the reason that that's happening, then you, you may find yourself already in a bad spot, not working, um, not just to not get it right in the moment, but to get it right over time, I think is, is really, really difficult. So yeah, I, I, I think there's specifically in a college program um, and I believe in other teams too, that there are a few things you have to think about uh, all the time. And one, I think you have to remember that it, even if one personality on your team changes, that the dynamic changes. And this is regardless of what culture you've built and are bringing them into. And you have to pay attention to what that brings to the culture uh, or, or the people. And uh, I, I think if you take your eye off of that, you can, you can find yourself um, missing out. And I think even sometimes when, you know, in a college program or on a pro team, even when you have the same people over time or the same core group, that those people will also change over time. You know, a, a freshman is not the same as a senior. They're a different person in a lot of ways. Uh, and, and if you're not paying attention to that, uh, I, again, I think that you have to be very cognizant and aware of what that can bring to your culture. And then in college, every half year, 
um, is a new year. And you need to understand how to weave new people and behaviors and ideas into the old fabric of what you're made of. And uh, it's, it's just ongoing. And, and the minute that you uh, don't really think about those things or recognize it, I think you're, you get into some trouble. So I would just say lastly, and I think the point you're, you're trying to have me finally get to with your question is, is that complacency to me can be the root of all evil <laughs> in, in anything to be honest. And uh, I believe that complacency is where your growth stops as a person, as a coach or a player. Um, and a great culture goes to die, even if you've established one early on in your career. And if you get complacent about it, it'll, it'll wither. So if you think about, you know, if you're a science nerd and you, you think about a Petri dish and an actual culture, <laughs> you know, you can, it's, it's where the mold starts to grow if you're complacent. So you, 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 you have a culture and you mix a little complacency and it'll just start to turn green and fuzzy and no one will want it anymore. So uh, to me, it's, uh, it's sort of the root of where you, you can't go if you always want your culture to be one that people want to be a part of. Yeah, interesting. Very, very interesting because I think as college coaches, we think that we do so much work on finding out about the player before they come into the environment. And then mm -hmm. once they get in, uh, it's easier to take the because we think the culture is going the, the culture is going to basically keep them in check but it is a massive growth period of their life 18 to 22 so we probably should be a bit more aware of them changing as people during that stage yeah i, I think a lot you know and uh, i have a former player who said something really um a little bit life-changing to me at one point and and it was very astute for a young woman and she said that uh she said it to another player, to a teammate who was, I think, in the locker room, probably not on board and uh, more so than the coaching staff could realize. I think that players see that sometimes before coaches can see it. And uh, it was it was one of these things where when all was said and done, she, she said to me, you know, we have to determine with the players on this team that we are here to add to the culture. The culture is not here to cater to you. And I, I think that is a, a really – wise phrase and I've, I've thought about it for many many years now since she first said it and it's the truth to me i mean there's a lot in that obviously losing games is not something you want in a culture and we, we all know that there but again something that i don't think we talk enough about is the fact that winning and being successful can create a different set of problems so i remember reading that pat riley book and the disease of me and just nodding my head thinking yeah i've seen this i've seen this i've seen this so you know what what are some challenges that i suppose you experienced as a head coach that came along with winning and success yeah i i i feel really really fortunate in the times where we've had on paper the most success you know you always feel like people are going to be happier when you're winning so it's not necessarily happiness but the times we've really gotten it right and haven't had injuries or haven't had a, a lot of outside factors influencing whether we won or not, we really just hit the nail on the head. Uh, part of it comes down to leadership of the players within the team. I think if I think back to the best we ever had where if a problem or something would come up or someone was starting to show those signs of selfishness and believing that they were above the team, that players would nip it in the bud way before coaches had to. And, and that's when you know you, you have your culture right, is that the players are uh, leading from within the team. And it's very much, and especially in football or soccer, it's so much a player's game. When the players can get right, 
um, you know you put them in the in the correct environment and that is such a difficult place to get to and it's one that i i feel like as coaches we we almost try to manipulate too much and and we we get too involved but if we can you know if we can build the sort of the structure around it and get the right people in the right seat so to speak um just to use a little good to great phrase but it's um it's really magical and so i feel fortunate when we've won but we haven't had a lot of that and it's fixed itself from within uh but i i always you know in some form whether it's winning or losing i it's you know rarely when you're losing because um me you know you don't people don't think it's me it's or it's because you're not using me that maybe we're losing so they they do get a little me centric um winning can definitely begin to see some people more individually responsible for the success of the team so i've always been a habit of mine to when decision making and when discussing attitudes and outlooks with players is to just ask the question is 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 it best for the team so if something comes up well okay let's think about that is it best for the team and to have a conversation around it with them and if if there's something um you know that we can come to an agreement on that makes them understand that you do care about them and you do see their point of view but at the same time get them to maybe also be aware that they're maybe becoming a little more self-absorbed or not looking outside of just what's what's in their best interest uh it can have a it can have a really good effect um on the team and you can change it midstream even when it seems like it's going the wrong way but those are discussions like anything you know communication is a huge thing those are discussions you have to see to have when you start to see that kind of behavior um or disease or problem start to to seep into your team and it's not discounting that you know that um you know the the physical or mental health of individuals is isn't more important to the team that's always most important but when it comes to team performance um you know all individuals including the head coach and the staff everybody has to ask themselves that question and put it at the top of the list is this what's best for the team and if the minute you lose sight of that is one as a team you'll probably underachieve or when you're winning you'll probably start to see chinks in the armor and you'll cave so uh it's 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 the art of coaching it's the art of building a team in any aspect is is to always be on top of asking the right questions and uh, and holding people to them one of the many things i've learned on this podcast is that when you when you talk to people about their culture and they build a successful culture they're they're so consistent with their messaging and i always think that it's hard to do that today because players if they hear the same thing twice in a week, you can just see the eyes starting to to wander a little bit. Like you, you must have repeated the same thing so many yeah. times to players. How do you do that without disengaging or boring them? Well, I think there's a couple of things. There's also the fact that I feel like I've said so many things so many times over and over again that I'm sick of hearing them. There, the converse of that is true. There's things. times that I don't want to say it anymore because I've heard it over and over again I forget that there's actually players on our team that have never heard it so I run into the opposite problem sometimes I'm like I had to have told you that at one point and they're like no we never talked about that and I'm like oh, okay well, well 34 years later I must have said it so much I got sick of it so I've lost my own attention span so um I think you're exactly right and and I think in this day and age the way kids learn is you know the way people learn is a lot different um technology has had a huge impact on that and we have to sort of own it right we can't um you know we we can't dismiss the fact that you know everyone's going 7000 miles an hour and you're only going to have them for a brief period of time and i i find this in the coaching schools too 
So to me, it's it's more about being short, meaningful, and interactive um, with meetings and layering things in over time. I think you can get into big problems as, a, as any coach or manager of people or leader of people if you think you're going to give everybody everything in one lump sum and expect it to all fall into place. You have to have the patience to build it, and and that takes that takes some discipline. Um, the patience to, to build anything over time. So ownership and, and action items for players are a must, in my opinion, also. I just think if you're asking, uh, I think you're asking for an entitled culture or a culture where you're constantly trying to sell it to players if you don't let them be a major part of the process and determining what being a part of that team looks and feels like. And if you're, you're good, you can steer it the way you want, but over time and with players' involvement and engagement, you can't just expect in one fell swoop to get it right you have to be have the discipline as a coach to be patient and layering things in and being short and sharp and and on point with your messaging but um but also interactive they they have to have a part of that process and i think that that's a that's been a better way for me to go anyway better way to teach and a better way for people to learn and, and again buy in this question is going to seem really stupid to anyone who doesn't understand or has never experienced college soccer but and it prefaces it with this, like, it's three months and the cult, like, you're so worried about your culture, basically, mixed messaging, like, you don't want to let that train go off the tracks at all. So when I look at your social media account and the stuff that you've done as a team with it, like, those interviews with the players in the background is just genius, <laughs> absolutely brilliant. And then you've got Halloween soccer, so... It's obvious yeah. fun and humor matter, but again, again, how do you how do you tear that in without turning it into you know something that you can't control? What's your advice in, in making it fun and humorous? Yeah, I I don't know. I, I think it goes back to this this whole culture as a buzzword, right? And 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 some of the changes and challenges in the college environment over the last twenty years, and I think these are that and and keeping things fun and light you know i think those two things go hand in hand um you know and the word culture i've come to learn to almost despise it to be honest and i already saw you use air quotes once <laughs> when you were talking about it people can't see that but gary used air quotes when it's culture. <laughs> uh, uh i do think it's a buzzword and i think it's like drastically overused and overwritten about and people are making a ton of money off it and i, I just think people throw it out there without knowing exactly what it means or confusing it with chemistry which to me is are two drastically different things i think i've mentioned that before and then what people see can be very different from what is actually going on or what it feels like uh and of course a lot of things have changed in 20 years but you have to know that social media has been the biggest change uh what we're all doing uh, we were all doing somewhat privately 20 years ago and enjoying by the way <laughs> without anyone ever seeing it <laughs> go figure not seeing it, not writing about it, not recording it. Uh, you know, it's it's now become a big competition to see who's the coolest, the most fun, the most successful, the most clever, um, who you can give the biggest FOMO to, and, you know, the most imaginative and creative. And it takes a lot of time to think about all those things. And like you said, in college programs, it's so short. And to be kind of worrying about all of these other things in addition to performing and winning is uh, – it's it's something, you know, it's like we're trying to sell or prove something and spending more time on worrying about that than what you're actually doing and what's real. Um, and a culture where you care and demand and expect excellence and day in and day out, show these behaviors and expect them from student athletes. Uh, that used to be enough and it's not really anymore. And I, I think that now um, 
you can't give if you can't give your team mantra to somebody before you've even had your team form or figured out what your team is about they look at you like you're nuts or you're a failure so you know to me it still has become about you know over these last several years with with the change in technology with everything being so public as far as what's happening within your team and you're trying to sell to recruits um that there's a couple of things that i i feel like if you don't have fun and humor in your life every day anyway as a human we're really drastically doing something wrong uh and and we're really messing up our time here but um i'll go back to what i've said before it has to be genuine and it has to be real and it has to actually feel like that in reality it can't just be a snapshot for the public um otherwise it's just bs and i'm just you know i have very little time for bs <laughs> mm-hmm. i just you know and and if people don't think that what we do is um meaningful or uh fun or important or uh growth oriented for the student athletes then whatever i don't really care what they think um we're just being us and um and if this, more importantly if the people that are involved with our program every day don't feel like it really looks on camera um then i think you're missing the mark and i i do think there's uh 100% I know for a fact there's a lot of winning that goes on out there and a lot of miserable players. So uh you know it just just it's not everything that it seems behind the behind the curtain. So I would love uh you know in my programs we have we've always wanted it to match. What you see on the outside is what you'd see on the inside or feel on the inside and um and that's just being genuine. We'll just take a quick break here. Coaches, if you're looking to raise your club's profile in the local community and give them a professional look this season, please check out NFHS and FIFA-approved custom textured training balls and vests from Bounce Athletics. Fully customised with your logo and colour scheme and produced in the same factories as the global brand balls that you're already using, Bounce Athletics training balls feature a textured PU outer with hybrid seamless construction so they look, feel and play like match balls. With only 25 ball minimums, a quick 4 week turnaround and a 2 year warranty, Bounce Athletics can still get you a custom look in time for the spring. Modern Soccer Coach Podcast listeners can get a $50 discount on their first order of custom balls or training vests by mentioning the podcast when they email info at bounceathletics.com to begin the order process. Thank you and back to Leslie. Character. I can't, I'm giving you buzzwords all the time. Character. <laughs> I mean, we talk about the recruiting process and building these teams. You know, you it's, it's almost the number one, I suppose, element that you want to get in. Is it says so much about judging character. I, I just, I feel that it's difficult to do that in a recruiting meeting that is slightly inauthentic with two parents sitting there and the kid having to say all the right things. Mm-hmm. How do you go through that? Have you changed or how is the process of basically reading people to get the right people in? How have you done that throughout the years? Yeah, I think one of my biggest mistakes as a human sometimes, and people would tell you this about me, they know me pretty well, is just, <laughs> I, I don't know if this is a fault or not, but I just assume the best of people from the get-go. And then after that, and, and maybe I shouldn't, I know there's some people that are more guarded about people going in. I think I'm the opposite. I'm like, yeah, everybody's great. And then all of a sudden I'm like, oh, everybody isn't great. And I find that out in the hard way sometimes. But I do think character and, and what people are like and how they communicate and, and who they are um, in their core is very, very important. And, and more importantly in the recruiting process is 
making sure that, that you're a right fit for them and they're a right fit for you as people and that they want to learn from you and they want to be coached by you and that they, they, you know, are someone who are, that I would like to be around. You know, I said that for a long time is when you're a college coach, you get to pick. And um, I would like to pick people who are quality humans, but I do think that the early recruiting and hopefully the new rules will help this swing back to how it was. Um, you know, years ago, which is it gives you more time to get to know somebody. Yeah, but that's the thing is that, you know, in a short period of time, you really have to do some digging. And most importantly, you have to listen and watch and watch how kids behave when they play, watch how kids behave at the training pitch when you're just out there watching them and not even talking to them. Uh, what are other people saying about them? And, um, how, how they interact with their parents and how their parents interact with them is a big one to me because your family is your family. And if you and your family treat each other a certain way, um, and if it's a poor way, then as a coach, you probably have stand little chance to be treated any better than that. Mm -hmm. So I think that that's a, a, a big indicator. Um, but the other thing, you know, you said judging character is, is just the word judgment alone. I think we, uh, we get into this a little bit too much is, is judging and, you know, and not listening. And I would never, ever want to make assumptions of what, about what a kid's story is or what their background is or what they've been through haven't been through. You know, we're all a product of our environment. And, um, of, of course, you're going to have judgments on, on what that looks like and what that seems like. But unless you listen and really take the time to hear their story, typically outside of soccer, a recruiting meeting with me has usually very little to do with soccer. If they're sitting in my office, um, they know they're there because they're a soccer player, but at the same time, it's this time where we all get to um, hear each other out a little bit and listen and learn about each other's stories that make us who we are. And, and, uh, and I, I think that is uh, a place where, you know, I, I think you can sort of get to the, the core of whether it's going to be a good fit or not, as if you both are listening to each other and make sure that, you know, you know them. <laughs> and then the dynamic between the two of you will be a positive one. There's there's times where I've had kids in my office and they've left and they've said, I just don't think you'll do well with me. Uh, and nor do I nor do I think that I will do well with her. I mean, it's uh, someone who, um, again, it was easier when they were a little bit older, juniors and seniors, freshmen. You just have to forgive them because most of them are not mature enough to have an adult conversation, a real adult conversation, and they're nervous about it, and, and they just haven't reached that level of being able to know what it is they want, or to be able to talk about things that are meaningful in their life in a meaningful way, but uh, I just, I think sometimes you, you know, if we don't listen and, and kind of give people a chance to, to share their story and what they're about, then we might, we might miss the, miss the boat on getting the right kids for us. Yeah, and at the elite level then, obviously, whenever you're trying to build that team, you want to build it with competitive people who are going to push and challenge each other and not simply conform. Brings us on nicely to this one where something I've learned, you know, that they don't simply conform and that's why they are at the top. And I'm guessing Hope Solo would probably be in that bracket. I'm interested to hear your thoughts on how you accommodate those high achievers who are going to challenge other people in the environments? Yeah, and I don't. I think from you know the 2015 World Cup through the Olympic, people would say debacle through the 2019 World Cup. That you know Jill Ellis and I've known Jill for a lot of years now. Um, did a masterful job with that in evolving with her players and with that team because uh, that's a team full of 
strong-willed and strong-minded women um, and high-achieving athletes. And so, you know, to let them be themselves is, and, and when you say let them be themselves, you obviously mean within a, a structure of a team. Uh, but I also think teaching them how to be listeners is very, very important. And as those players all matured from 2015, the ones that returned for the 2019 World Cup, I think that was probably the biggest thing is that they all grew together and learned how um, to not only have a voice, but to also listen, um, to listen. And I, I think that's huge in this world today. We all tend to talk before we hear or listen to what other people are saying. And I, I think you can, you can have a team of those players and, and let them be themselves. And that's, you're always going to get the most out of someone if you let them truly be them within the, the structure of a team. And, and, you know, it goes back to the disease of me. Yeah. I'm going to let you be you, but there's, <laughs> there's 20 something other yous on the team as well. And they've got to be themselves. So it's a two way street. And, and just learning to um, learn, teaching them to learn to listen. Also, I think they, I think you gain a lot of respect by putting people in an environment like that. Yeah, the biggest, biggest misconception is that when people look at the the Jill Ellis's and the and the Pep Guardiola's, is that people think that ah, you just have good players. You, you, huh. you know, that's the hard. It's harder to coach, isn't it? It is. It is. It is a task. I mean, mm -hmm. you know. And Vlatko, he's doing great with the team right now, and they just qualified for the Olympics, and I'm super happy for them and uh, happy for him as a head coach to be able to come in and have that kind of success. And, again, he's inherited technically the best team in the world, um, two-time champions, et cetera. And, and, again, you talk about culture, and he's got the little honeymoon bump right now. Everything's happy, happy, joy, joy. And I hope it continues that way for him. He'll, he'll soon find, and he knows this, and it's not speaking at school, he knows that um, there'll be bumps in the road and there'll be personalities and opinions and people who think they should be starting, people that think they should make a roster, think people think they should make a camp and, and he'll have to have to deal with that. And it's, you know, it's why he has that job, but it's, you know, again, you talk about Pep or Jill or Klopp or any, any coach at a high level is that managing um, that type of athlete is a, a whole different ball of wax. And it's a, it's a skill. My favorite question the UW newspaper said on the headline that you brought tough love to the program. How did you balance that, keeping that? Because that is a lost art today. Everyone, coaches, we, we'd love to we'd love to drive that through to our players, balance that that show of loving your players and then driving them and, and taking them places and exposing them to adversity. But how did you do that without encountering resentment or being a negative coach, which, which we hear a lot of today. Yeah. Uh, I'm, I'm, you know, tough love is a, it's a, it's a lost term. I think, I think now it has a different connotation to it. Um, because I'm not a big screamer or yeller and nor would I ever try to demean any player on my team. It's not that I've never raised my voice. Of course I have. Uh, but I also think the idea of tough love is like being, a, is giving tough love to your, your own children is that, um, you don't always get what you want <laughs> in this life. And, and sometimes you don't get it because you haven't earned it. And sometimes you don't get it simply for the fact you don't get it. And understanding that and accepting it is, is difficult for young people sometimes because there's many that have never encountered that. It, it's new for them, not just getting something. And so, you know, to me, I, I think 
that what's come become, and I think, you know, I'm really fortunate. I got to work at the same institution for 26 years, or I earned the right to work at the same institution for 26 years. And I, I only had three stops in my division one coaching um, career. I was an assistant coach for four years at my alma mater, and I was a head coach at San Diego state for four years before I got to Washington. And, and now I think that kind of longevity is difficult because there doesn't have to be too many things that seem like they're going awry before you're cut off at the knees as a coach. And a lot of times we can go back to this term tough love, if you want to call it that, uh, what you're doing for student athletes um, and teaching them to get through obstacles seems like tough love. And it seems really difficult for them at the time. And I try to tell my athletes up front, but you can't tell people this. It's something that they have to feel and experience and learn through is that everything we tried to do, and I throw Amy Griffin, my associate head coach of 24 years into this, is that everything we did came from caring about the program, about the team, about the players, and, and, and wanting them to succeed and wanting them to learn a life lesson, whether it was a difficult one or an easy one, and, or one they wanted to learn or didn't want to learn. It, it was something that needed to be done. And a lot of times, well, all the time, that's a, that's a process. That is not a three-month process. That is not a one-season process. Process, And it's the reason that I loved being at one place over 26 years is I felt we could build something and develop something where there were so many people that came out on the other side and didn't even realize until their mid-20s what a great effect it had had on them that, um, that they were given that opportunity. And to have that kind of time now, you don't really. In, in a lot of instances, you just don't have that time to be able to say, look, this works. Look at what, look at what we're doing to build um, esteem and character and uh, adulthood into these young people. And it's, uh, you know, I, I just had, I was me and I was far from perfect, but at the same time, I, I wasn't somebody who, uh, you know, again, negativity as coaches, we all have negativity at some point in time when we're either losing or people aren't doing what they're asked to be, you know, asked to do. But overall, I would say that tough love to me was making sure that they knew I cared and I was going to hold them to a standard and I was going to help them get over and through whatever an obstacle without turning around and running away from it. And that was the biggest thing is to come out the other side stronger and better for it. Yeah, which is sometimes easier said than done. And from a coaching oh, standpoint, yeah. Way easier said than done. <laughs> well, we are exposed to the same challenges or even like you, you mentioned there, and I thought you hit the nail on the head, you know, as a coach today, the pressure where you're cut off at the knees, that is the reality of the world that we're living in. But that's that's probably been here for 10, 12 years, maybe, Leslie, like around that. So, mm-hmm. I mean, how have you, burnout is, is if it's not a, a big factor it's going to be like how did you how did you manage to to keep yourself in a good place mentally and how did you manage to avoid burnout for all those years yeah i think that you know we all have our, our sort of you know roller coaster ride in the coaching world and the thing for me that um there's a few things i'd say gary that helped me along the way and it's the people that i surrounded myself with uh, the things I did outside of my regular job at the University of Washington and involved myself in, in that I think helped my own personal development as well as helped uh, me be a better coach at the University of Washington. So I was always trying to grow and learn from other people and put myself in other leadership positions outside of uh, my my regular job at UW to um, expose myself to different leadership models, uh, 
put myself in boardrooms, uh, put myself with other coaches and, and traveled abroad. I just did a bunch of things that I thought would um, keep me energized and also make me better and make me better for my players at Washington. And I, I to this day, still believe that that's what's been uh, the crux of, of a long career because I get called and asked by more coaches than I can count. How did you ever do this job for that long? I mean, I, and, and to be honest, in this last year especially, I, it was asked of me. And I think about it, there's sometimes I say, I look back and I, I say, I don't know. But it never, it doesn't feel like that long because I loved it. I loved it the entire time I did it, even when it was hard, even when it was ugly, even when it wasn't fun. Um, and we all have those times, but it was always a great challenge. And I love coaching and I love helping uh, that age set of players get through difficulties in their lives. I help, I love being a mentor to people. Uh, and, and I just, I, I love trying to win and compete. And so all of those things just always made it exciting for me. Uh, I, I very rarely did I feel like I was burnt out. And just when I started to, I would do something else that would help reinvigorate me. And a lot of it had to do with, um, I have a great group of peers in the coaching profession that have done this around the same time. A lot of women who we're all kind of been in the, in the same boat from the get-go from the, the early 80s on that have managed to hang around for quite a while that we all sort of lend each other an ear and play off one another and, and you know, to, to keep it, each other going. But it's, uh, yeah, it's, I, I'll tell you, this many years later, I pat myself on the back and say I'm proud of myself because it, 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 was, um, it, it was a good shift for sure. We're going to take our second and final break here to tell you about the aluminum folding dynamo goal from Bounce Athletics. The world's most portable and durable small-sided goal, weighing only 19 pounds, takes only five seconds to set up or fold flat. The Dynamo goal is utilized by the entire North American soccer spectrum from rec programs to MLS clubs to create a dynamic small-sided training and game environment. Available in 3x5 and 4x6 size, the Dynamo goal requires no staking, so it is perfect on all training surfaces. Net customization is also available for those programs looking to create an even more professional training environment. The goals start at only $257 per goal with free shipping and Modern Soccer Coach listeners can get a $50 discount on their order when they use the offer code MODERN, not case sensitive, at checkout. Visit www.dynamogoal.com for more details. Staying on those relationships, it's easy to sometimes keep those relationships with people that are outside the game, but sometimes whenever you're you're competing against coaching peers at the, at the top end, it it's really intense, and and those relationships can suffer. But when I look at your social media profile, it's it's just a string of encouragement to to other people that you know I think it's a great message for young coaches because sometimes we think that it and especially with social media and you see coaches today arguing in press conferences blah 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 it looks like you've you've prioritized relationships in the coaching community um would that be fair to say yeah and I think well it's a very nice thing to say so thank you <laughs> and and fair maybe yeah but I you know I often say to people is this I don't know any other way to be than me. And, you know, when you look around and you see other people either getting more than you or have something different than you or winning and you're not, uh, it's just never a good feeling to be jealous or bitter or 
unhappy in general. And if, if you are, then, then you have to look at yourself and say, why do I feel like that? Uh, and, and I know how difficult this job is. So when someone else is having success, I'm happy for them because I know how hard they've worked to get there. Uh, now, if someone to me has been someone who's done it in a, an unethical way, or I know to be someone who isn't a great person and has treated people poorly or burnt bridges and you know, I steer clear of those kind of people. It's not that I'm not going to encourage them or possibly say something nice, but I'm, I'm not going to go out of the way to do it. Uh, but in general, I just I know how hard people work to try to to try to win and compete. And if they're doing it the right way and they're putting their heart and soul into making players better, uh, then I I've lived in their shoes and I get it. It's 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 really difficult to win. You know, I look at people like um, in the college game in particular. I have a few people that I look at that. I'm like, wow, that, that person has done it the right way. Steve Swanson at Virginia is someone who I have the utmost respect for. He was a colleague at Stanford um, before he left to go to Virginia. He's never won it, <laughs> and he's had plenty of good teams. It is really, really difficult to win. Um, the late, great Clive Charles at the University of Portland was a dear, dear friend of mine, and uh, nobody, I mean everyone, I should say, was so happy when he won because they knew how – he did it the right way and how much he put into both the men's and women's programs at Portland. And he didn't have much time left and he was able to win before he left. Bobby Clark, Jamie's dad, um, Jamie Clark's the men's coach at Washington. You know, Bobby won it at Notre Dame a couple years before his retirement, but he'd been at Dartmouth. He'd been at Stanford. He'd been at Notre Dame, you know, and into his seventies, he coached and he finally got one. Uh, and so everybody knows how hard it is to win. And for those that have won it once in those years in between, they've not won it another time. Uh, so if, if you've ever coached and you, you have an experience with the ups, the downs and everything that goes into it, loving, you know, your kids on your team at times more than you actually love your own children or spend time with them, it's a sacrifice. And you, you really pour your heart and soul into it because you love it and you're passionate about teaching and you're passionate about the game. So for me, it's always been easy to have a, a perspective of there's one person standing at the end and it doesn't dismiss all the other people that have tried. And, uh, and it's, it's really a, a fun, um, it's a fun and different kind of battle to watch ensue. And so I just, I don't know. I have respect for people that stick at it. Okay. Last couple of questions. We're, uh, we're flying through them here. Personal development. I mean, it's, it's tough as a, as a head coach with so much pressure and the results playing such a pivotal role. How did you navigate around stay, uh, committing to your coach education and, and looking for opportunities to get better? Yeah. I mean, I think I combined all of those things. You know, I, I tried to be um, someone who didn't bite off more than I could chew. And I, I tried to balance all those outside things with my college job, having an associate head coach that when I left uh, Washington to go outside and do other things for four or five days here and there throughout the spring season and, and in the summer when we didn't have our players around as much, um, I could always trust that things were being taken care of uh, back at Washington. But I, 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 I said this before, I really tried to put myself in a position to do things where I was around good people, uh, meeting people at the highest level. Um, anytime I'm a coaching instructor, or co a coaching educator, uh, the coaches who are my candidates teach me something. So it's, you know, it, it just, it's never, it's never not a great experience for me uh, or a learning experience to grow. And I, I've been able to just be in and around um, national team players, national team coaches from our country, from other countries, travel to watch the professional game, um, watching the game on the men's and women's side. I have rows tickets for Sounders till we die, season ticket holders right in the front row. And 
I now had to got to watch Ziggy up close, who's a dear was a dear friend of mine, and and Brian Schmetzer run the team, and all the coaches that come in, and I'm I'm right there in between the two benches where I can see the banter and see their in-game coaching behaviors, which to me is um, it's fascinating to watch how different coaches behave in a performance environment, and there's there's a lot to be said for uh, how coaches behave in their coaching environment and how well their teams do. There's a there's a correlation in my opinion. Uh, and, and then just the eccentricities of coaching, you know, we're all a little bit crazy and it's uh, it's just fun to learn from other people, the good, the bad, the indifferent and sort of apply it to yourself. So uh, it's, it's been, it's been a fun ride and I, I have more left in me and whatever that means, I don't know yet, but I know that I've, I've put myself in a position as a, a color commentator, a coach educator, um, someone who enjoys both the men's and the women's game, a college coach, a youth coach that, um, my skill set is one who, you know, is one of a person who hasn't limited herself, so to speak, um, to be able to only do one thing outside of college soccer. Yeah, but you know, college soccer gave me a platform and a, an avenue to be able to to do all those things. So I'll be, forever be grateful for it. Fantastic, fantastic. Okay, last one. Um, yeah, what's your advice for a for a young coach who who's looking at that longevity basically of success like what what's i suppose there's there's 50 secrets but you know what 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 is the one piece of advice that you'd have for them to to really focus on good luck oh <laughs> 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 uh, my sarcasm gets me in trouble i'll go i'll go with something different than that but yeah it's uh if i haven't from this podcast already discouraged them then that's a good sign people are still listening but i would say uh you know I've alluded to this a couple of times, hopefully, and it's been picked up is, and I say this first thing out of the shoot to my coaching candidates is that uh, no matter how much you love the game, no matter how great your, uh, your strategies and your being a tactician or an uh, analyst of the game that you are, even if you're a people person, uh, even if your communication skills are great, uh, if you are not genuine, if you are not you, if you are not a real person, uh, to the people that um, are there to learn from you and get better from you, then I think you'll struggle. I think you have to really work hard to uh, to find your find yourself within coaching, and and be genuine. And, and because if you're disingenuine, I think people see right through you, and no one's ever going to buy into what you're what you're putting out there. And so um, I've tried hard to be me, and I think that's worked for a lot of players, and I think it hasn't worked for some, but find me a coach any different than that i would argue right now maybe Jurgen Klopp is that person <laughs> yeah no, no. My, my spurs. I, i'm a spurs fan but i i'm telling you i've started to this guy's he's got me all turned around and it's not just because they're winning i'm fascinated by him yeah. you know? uh, but I, I would say being genuine and being true to yourself is is the best way you can be as a coach and that'll that'll get you um down the road further than if you're not fantastic fantastic Leslie, this could be the quickest interview I've felt like I've done. I can't thank you enough. This has been inspiring. Thank you. Oh, thanks, Gary. I really appreciate it. I, I love being on. And um, I, I I tend to have the gift of gab, and I'm usually, when people go to interview me, I am kind of the one-take wonder. It's been a it's been an art of mine. It might have been the one year of law school that I had. I learned to you know just kind of get to the point and, and move on. But if there's anything in there that you want to revisit, um, let me know and I'm happy to revisit that with you. And if you need me for anything else, give me a shout. 
thanks so much to Leslie for her time and insight there. I hope you enjoyed it as much as I did. Yeah, another one to list under the wish I had of heard that 15 years ago list that I'm uh, compiling at the minute here. Really enjoyed that there from Leslie. Um, so many things. First off, from the fact of, I suppose, managing yourself as a coach to, to keep that energy and to continue to develop yourself. Really enjoyed when she's talking about putting herself in those education environments, putting herself in leadership groups, gave her energy. And I think sometimes we look at having to go on a course or having to go on a panel or having to do this as ways that we will lose energy because they may take time or may take a flight or may take some time in the car. But, you know, as I found out from doing these podcasts, sometimes you start the week off and you're you are a little bit tired or, or maybe you do get in a spot where you feel a bit stuck and you feel as if you need a break. But you jump on a call and you talk to a coach who's got an insight or a perspective or an energy like that and all of a sudden your whole day can change or your month can change or your year can change or, or it can go even deeper than that. And that's you know one of the reasons why I've kept podcasts going and tried to do at least one a week, at least one, uh, not because I'm contractually obliged or, or feel as if it's in the best interest of the coaching community, but it's good for me. Like It's good for me to hear people like that give an insight about how they sustain their enthusiasm and their energy. And that was probably the best piece of advice I've ever been given by a coach was years and years ago and I had just started and he, he kind of pulled me aside and said, never ever lose your enthusiasm. It's It's the greatest gift you can ever have as a coach. And I think sometimes we've got to look for ways to protect that there and what I enjoyed about Leslie's insight was that you can protect it by by having more interactions with other coaches and sometimes yeah we're we're conditioned to almost think the opposite and maybe it's time we challenge that a little bit more so I love that there piece and I also really really enjoyed I think it was her first answer when she's talking about how you sustain the culture and she she talked about how people even when they're in the culture can change and how you have to be on the lookout for that. And that's sometimes that's not a positive or a negative. It's just life. And especially when we're dealing with people and, and kids who 12 months can be a long time. Sometimes six months can be a long time. And even in the college world where they might get to an age where you think there's maturity there, but there's so many different variables going on in their lives that, yeah, that's they're going to change as people. They're going to change as soccer players. And there's one thing to be on the lookout for that. There's another to be positively impacting that there and, and getting ahead of it and helping them through that process. And I think, you know, that is where the gold is there in that podcast is to probably work alongside your staff and seeing that change and then meeting the player ahead of that change. And rather than saying, well, they've changed or their attitude isn't good enough or they're not working hard enough, and you can see that the way Leslie talks about environments and cultures, that there's so much depth to her understanding. And I think depth does come from, yeah, experience, but it also comes from the time and patience and perspective and the ability to view that perspective from the eyes of your players and the eyes of your staff. She mentioned her staff on a couple of occasions as well. So, you know, I thought there was just so much to that there and, it's another one that I'll go through and, and especially from a player development standpoint, you know, you do see the word 
culture and you do see the word development and you do see the word player centered so often today in social media but i think we've got to improve our processes and we've got to improve our observation skills and we've got to improve our perspectives if we are going to actually connect with young people and keep them inspired you know to to go through all the tough times in the game because over the course of a season, two seasons, three seasons, a college career, it can be a very, very difficult journey. And you can tell how Leslie's insight has probably helped a lot of players through that. So really, really enjoyed it. We'd love to hear your insight, as always, at Gary Kernine on Instagram, at Gary Kernine on Twitter. Thanks so much for listening to the podcast. Before you go, if you wouldn't give us a little five-star rating and a review, that would just help with getting the word out on the podcast and also helping our sponsors as well. Thanks so much for listening. I will see you next week. Goodbye. Thank you for listening to the Modern Soccer Coach Podcast. For more coaching topics, sessions, and resources, head on over to Coach Kerneen on Facebook or visit the website at www.modernsoccercoach.com.